scotch. Mm, it's so good. <laughs> scotch is really good. Oh, yummy. I'm a fan. We'll have to keep this part. <laughs> everyone needs to know how good scotch is. Everybody needs. If uh, this is the first endorsement we are going to make on this show, scotch. If, if you're not drinking scotch, you should start drinking it. It goes so well with games. It goes wonderfully with games. Yeah. That segues beautifully into our theme for the week. But before we get into that, I'm John. I'm Gina. And this is Gaming in Real Life. Yay. A show about the relationships players have with games and the way games facilitate relationships between players. Someday that's just going to be automatic. Good job. Thank you. It was hard. It was a struggle. Words aren't really working for me today, so... We've already started drinking in honor of the theme of today's podcast. We've danced around the topic long enough. What is the theme? Drunk gaming. Drunk gaming. Something that I think anyone who has played games and who has had a drink has done. Probably. It's, it's only natural to try and combine the two. Well, games go so well with beer, but they also go well with wine, scotch... <laughs> rum, mulled wine. We've done that, haven't we? Uh, we must have. Yeah. Uh, one of these winter, one of these winter game nights. I love the winter uh, largely because it is one of the times of year when I can most easily coerce people into playing games with me. One, well, I think it's also good because you want to spend more time indoors. Mm -hmm. It makes more sense to be huddled inside playing games with other people. I know I've taken a lot of comfort in games recently with the election. The way that I reacted was to start a campaign of Agricola, one-person Agricola, <laughs> because it was less depressing to imagine myself as a starving <laughs> farmer than the reality of what was happening outside. It, it seemed like something I could control. It Ag was very comforting. Uh, Agricola is, among many other things, a game about control, particularly when you play it with uh, one player. Exactly. You can more or less plot out all of your actions, but yeah. it's, a, it's a very satisfying puzzle. How many games into that are you? Just two. I've, I've been picking it up and putting it back down. I've never played one person Agricola before, but I feel like it's, it is, it is very satisfying. It's a very different experience by yourself, mm -hmm. obviously, than with one person, because you're not having the competition of trying to get in actions before other people anymore. It's more about planning and reacting and trying to reach new heights. Really, it's about beating yourself. It really is. Uh, the number of games that I've played, board games that I've played solo is kind of embarrassing, but I think Agricola is one of the better ones. Mm -hmm. For those who don't know, Agricola is a classic, very highly uh, critically acclaimed game. It's a worker placement game, so each player has a number of workers that they use to select different actions on a common board. But once you've placed your work on an action, that action is no longer available. And so you're not just planning around what you want to do, but you want to try and select actions that other people aren't selecting. And the longer an action goes unselected, most of the time, the better it gets. Exactly. So... It's, it can be a really tricky calculation knowing when the best time is to snatch up a resource. It's good German stock. It is one of my favorite Euros. Yeah. I think it works beautifully. But we're kind of getting off topic because, Lord knows, you cannot play Agricola drunk. I might have gotten a little tipsy towards the end of our last game. Well, <laughs> maybe you could start it sober. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about today, is there are games that you can learn drunk... And there are games that you can play drunk, but learn sober. So first of all, uh, let's just talk generally about the relationship between drinks and game night. Because I know, at least in our playgroups, game night is synonymous with drinking. It's true. I mean, I don't think we often get sloppy drunk while playing games, but beer and gaming go together hand in hand. I know one of the things I love about Geekway to the West, which I'm pretty sure we've mentioned on another podcast as a, a convention we really enjoyed, was the fact that you can drink while playing games. Shout out to the people who run Geekway to the West, by the way. If you're in or near St. Louis, that's a wonderful gaming convention. Hey, I Jill. Highly recommend that you go to it. Yeah. I, I, had a, I went for the first time last year. It was great. And yes, you can just buy a six-pack of beer and drink your beer like you're an adult who's responsible. It's, it's wonderful. It's so Missouri. <laughs> it's so Missouri. And I'm not going to say that I would ever sneak alcohol to an event like that. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> but what does beer do for game night? I think it's just another thing I enjoy alongside 
the game experience. I like beer. I like games. I like them together. They're two tastes that go well together. And maybe it's also some of that anxiety, like, everything seems a little less intense, perhaps. Well, I'm glad you said that, because uh, I I had nothing in mind when I asked that question. But (laughs) uh, once I said it, it it did occur to me that one major obstacle to enjoying a board game is the fear of failure. And I do think that a couple of beers can help take the edge off of that. It is so vital the first time you are playing a game to just kind of admit that I don't know this game and I'll probably lose. Statistically, you will probably lose any game you play anyway, right? All things being equal. Sure. In a game of one... So you should be prepared for that eventuality anyway. Especially if it's a game you don't know. Especially if somebody else is teaching you that game because they know it better than you do. Uh, And especially if you're me and you're just not that smart. No, that's not But the other thing is, uh, you know, the appeal of alcohol, I think, for a lot of people is that it can break down some barriers, it loosens tongues a little bit, it makes, you know, it's social lubrication, right? And And gaming is about socializing for a lot of people, and especially if you don't know other people who you're playing with, it's just a good icebreaker. It's a way to invite people into your home. I mean, I, I enjoy hostessing as much as the next bear. Wait. (laughs) <laughs> Are you thinking like Goldilocks and the Three Bears? No, one? no, isn't that like something from, uh, oh, what's the thing with the two bears? The two I got, bears. I got nothing, I'm sorry. I know this is thing. I'm like, I'm smarter than the average bear. What is that? I believe you that that's a thing. I, it's not a thing I know. We're gonna cut this out. <laughs> Are we? <laughs> I don't know. We're, we're very lazy cutters so far. You'll see that if you listen to our other episodes. I got rid of so many ums. I'm just saying. Yeah. Well, we're, we're new to this podcasting We thing. are new to podcasting. Yeah. Uh, but, well, there, I just did it again. But it's, it's social lubrication, and I feel like, especially when you're inviting somebody into your home, and that's always a slightly nerve-wracking experience, it just greases the wheels a bit. Well, and I think one of the major things board games do for a social group is they give you a pool of shared memories to pool from. Um, you a don't... pool to pool from? Exactly. <laughs> it makes sense. It does make sense. You need to... If I've played a game... Yeah, if I've played a game with you, then we've had some pretty intense interactions together in all likelihood we may have just fought each other over a particular territory or i might have lied to you and you believed me that's what okay you've just solved the mystery of what was missing from my power grid experience uh power grid is a slightly sore subject for me because my husband wasn't content to just beat me he had to pound me into a pulp (laughs) he had already won and he had to take everything from me and uh, I told him he was going to sleep on the couch. I was I was a little upset. I'm not going to lie. I was a little upset. We, we got past it. You know, we're strong. But um, but I was a little hurt from that experience. And I feel like that's what we needed to, to temper a little bit. Power Grid needed a couple beers. That makes a lot of sense. Although I think Power Grid would be difficult to play on top of a lot of beers. Well, just like one. One beer. One beer is about the amount you should have for Power Grid. One scotch, one beer. One scotch, oh, one scotch, one beer. Yeah. Is this episode making us sound like alcoholics? There's a healthy amount to drink. There is. I think, I think we're healthy about it. I feel like we should, like, put out a disclaimer that, that we are not alcoholics. We, we advocate drinking responsibly. We do. We, we don't advocate uh, drinking as a means of regulating, oh, you could board this better than I could. We, we do not drink and drive. We do not advocate self-medication via alcohol. Maybe this is a silly thing to have to put out there, but... We do you know. We do advocate having fun, responsibly. Exactly. Um, I think for me, having a bit to drink, if I have too much... To, not too much, but if I, if I drink a little more than I normally would on a game night, then I'm less invested, perhaps, in the experience, because I'm like, it doesn't matter! I'm having fun, no matter what! So, I... I definitely know the amount where I can drink and still be invested. Like, I, I feel like I've gotten to that point when we've played uh, Kemet in the past, where I, I have, like, maybe one too many beers for me to still care what my elephant is doing. <laughs> I've, I, have def- I have run into that on a night where we were playing Kemet as well. Because uh, it's a long game. 
It shouldn't be. That is our group. That is not the game. The game takes an hour and a half tops. That's true. We just take way too long to think about it. Yeah. I mean, it's... You have a, a scorpion or a an elephant <laughs> or, you know, a sphinx. Just, just pick. <laughs> and I, I feel bad because I really sold that game, and I believed this to be true based on my experience with the game. I sold it as a really fast, really aggressive, but still quite strategic uh, war game. Kemet, if you don't know, is one of Madagot's amazing series of dudes-on-a-map-style games that are loosely based on mythology. This is the Egyptian-themed one. And the the sort of... It's a very small map. It's very easy to get around on it, but... It's kind of like Small World, where you really can't avoid running into people. Exactly. It's designed to facilitate conflict. And it's a war game, but I I would argue I'm not a big war game person in general. It's not the sort of theme I usually gravitate towards. And I don't know if I love Commit as much as you and my husband do, because he wants to play it all the time. Mm -hmm. But I enjoy playing it quite a bit. I mean, I feel like it's uh, got some interesting decisions. It absolutely does. I I think that it manages to... It, many of the rules are designed to keep it moving, keep it interactive. It avoids a lot of the pitfalls that I think make war games just kind of pedantic, ponderous, nonsense. Like, uh, you know, you've, you've played war games that have just drug on, I I'm have. sure. Yeah. I, I think Kemet does a lot to try and avoid those kind of things. Mm-hmm. By being a little bit abstract. But it has little elephants. It does have little elephants. Well, it's not really that small. <laughs> it's a large elephant, and I, it's a war elephant. It is a war elephant. It, it gets my imagination going. But let's actually talk about games you can't play while drunk. <laughs> well, and the, the, the whole reason we started talking about this was that it is a game where even... Because I've, I've been playing this game for years. I, I know it quite well, but I... When a game goes on too long and when I have that second beer that I probably shouldn't have had to begin with, then my ability, even knowing the game, my ability to follow it uh, becomes somewhat diminished. I, I find that I can't really make good plays anymore past a certain point. Yeah. I feel like when I think about drunk gaming, the first thing that comes to mind for me are physical games. Uh, you know, very simple rules, short, interactive games, things like... Happy Salmon, and Jungle Speed, and Dancing Eggs. Yes. All, th- all three excellent games to play with a couple of drinks. Or Go Cuckoo. Or Go Cuckoo. For me, um, I know I, I wanted to get Dancing Eggs for a while. Dancing Eggs is one of Haba's uh, very family-friendly games. It, involve, it, it involves some wooden-slash-rubber eggs and a die... And all you really have to do is roll the die, and you're going to end up shouting things out loud, running around the table, putting eggs between your knees and under your elbows, and whoever gets the most eggs wins. It's a fairly short game, and I realized after a couple plays that it doesn't necessarily have the replayability to make me feel like I need to buy it, but if I had a young child, I would definitely purchase it, because it's very easy to learn. But that's sort of the thing about these uh, these kind of silly physical games, is that I don't think that these are games you can marathon. And because they're, they're very short, you're probably not going to have the stomach for more than a couple of playthroughs of these. But they are lovely for drinking. They get If you've had a couple of drinks, you're already a little bit loosened up, and these are games that will tend to make you want to giggle. Well, that's how alcohol works. It inhibits your frontal cortex... You know, you're not going to feel as embarrassed about playing something like Bunny Bunny Moose Moose, which is a game I feel like you can play drunk, but you need to learn it sober. Yes. Uh, that's a Vlada Chavadal game. He's my favorite. And uh, it involves <laughs> some very interesting hand gestures to make antlers or bunny ears. But the rules are surprisingly complex, considering that it's basically one player reciting a poem turning cards over, and people making faces in response. I think there are a number of games like that, though, where the rule... Okay, one aspect of drunk gaming that I think we should probably cover in a little bit more detail is this. Trying to get drunk people to listen to you... Is hard. Is really hard. Yeah. That's why Skull 
is a game that you really need to teach sober. I have managed to get drunk people to listen to a rules explanation. You're a better teacher than me. <laughs> I the, the thing I've found about so Skull is I describe it to people as being poker without the numbers. It is purely a game of bluffing and risk reward. It's a beautiful game. Uh, it is a beautiful game. It's played on these coasters. It's got these th this just beautiful kind of southwestern inspired uh, art. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it, it's a nice looking game. It's a game that if you are playing it in a public place, people may very well come up and ask to join your game. And it's not a complicated game at all. It's actually a very simple game, but it's surprisingly simple. I feel feel like people coming into Skull always expect it to be more complex than it is. Well, and that's because it has a rule set that it's easy once you've seen it, but just purely based on the way language works, it's a little hard to explain. Mm -hmm. If you see a round of Skull, I feel like you'll understand it. Yeah. And that's what I, when I teach Skull, I just talk people through a round, tutorial style, where I just straight up order people to do certain things. Definitely. I find that's the way to teach it. It's even better if you have somebody else at the table who's played it before, yeah. because I find that they'll often just jump into your tutorial and play it with you. Although I feel like whenever I've tried to teach it to drunk people, someone always just gets frustrated and gives up. <laughs> Maybe that's just the people that I drink with. Well, and that's a risk with, I think that's a risk with teaching board games in general. I mean, I can think of plenty of people I've played games with who just would have done that with Skull to begin with. But I also feel like when you play something like Happy Salmon, which is a physical game that involves running around the table, you know, fist bumping people, <laughs> it's a very simple short game, it takes, what, maybe ten minutes? Um, and one of the appeals of it to me is it comes in a cute fish pouch, which is important because <laughs> when you bring it out, people smile and they want to play it. And it's simple and the cards tell you exactly what you need to do. And so I feel like people are less likely to get frustrated with it. You're absolutely right. The presentation of Happy Salmon is super important because everything about that pouch says, I'm friendly. I'm you know? fun. It's and okay. I'm on your side. More I want... things should be in fish pouches. <laughs> is, I think, the conclusion of this podcast. Exactly. Uh, Happy Salmon is the, the way I learned about this game. I was at Gen Con. I was having a drink at the Sun King beer tent. There you go. Um, which... It's just the theme of the podcast, apparently. But I saw some people at a nearby table running around and laughing, and people about my age. And I was just immediately like, I gotta know what they're doing. So I walked over, and I was like, hey, what is this? They were like, this is a game called Happy Salmon. Would you like to play? And I was like, yes. And then a minute later, I was playing it with them. Yeah. But that's just... I, I love experiences like that. And that happened to us, too, when we were playing Dancing Eggs at Geekway to the West, strangers from across the street who were not at the convention came over from the restaurant across the way and asked us what we were playing because <laughs> we seemed to be having so much fun. And that's, to me, the mark of a really great physical game because people can tell that you're having fun from across the street. Yeah, these, these kinds of games absolutely have that strength. Mm -hmm. So what about, so about non-physical games? Oh, Fun Employed. Fun, yes. Fun Employed is excellent, although I will say... One thing I feel like needs to be mentioned about Fun Employed is that I prefer it with a slightly smaller group. It can take a long time with a big group. I mean, what I would say is if you're going to play it with a large group, adjust the number of turns accordingly. Mm -hmm. Do you want to introduce Fun Employed? Fun Employed, sure. Fun Employed is a game in which every turn one player is the boss and they are interviewing the rest of the players for a position at a job and the job is something you draw from a deck of cards so there's a judge much like apples to apples or cards against humanity but it's better it's better because the judges they're not just trying to judge who said the funniest thing they're hiring a, a bounty hunter or a teacher or a wet nurse or you know, the 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 jobs that you interview for range from normal to ridiculous and there's more opportunities, I feel like, in that game to insert your own creativity into it because you have cards to give you the bare bones, like sexual Tyrannosaurus Rex. I didn't say that correctly. <laughs> sexual Tyrannosaurus... I can't say that. <laughs> sexual Tyrannosaurus Rex. You think I'm going to edit that out, but I'm not. I know you're not going to. Damn, this is why I shouldn't let you edit. <laughs> but 
you still need to take these four cards and tell a story. Each, sell yourself. Each other player who's not the judge has a hand of four cards that are various attributes. And these attributes are not just suggestions. You have to incorporate each one into your interview. And again, the attributes range from normal things like expert or associate's degree to bizarre things like jetpack or daddy issues or purple drank. And... A lot of the fun of this game is the game does not attempt to write your jokes for you. And sometimes it actively makes it difficult for you to figure out how you're going to turn the things it's giving you into jokes. And I'm not going to say if the game has one flaw, it is this. It's because the game trusts you to succeed based on just a little bit of help. It also gives you the opportunity to fail, but it's worth it because when you make it work, you feel like you've actually done something clever. It's not a game for everybody. I feel like there are people, if you don't think of yourself as a creative person at all and you don't really get any enjoyment out of creating something, then it may not be the game for you. But I will also say I've played this with people who weren't amazing at improvisation and it gives you enough that even if you're one of those people, you can often make something work. Even if you're not winning the game, you're probably going to get a couple of laughs. Well, and I think that's why it's such a good game for when you're a little tipsy, because your inhibitions are down a little bit, you're more willing to take a chance. Mm -hmm. And that's what it takes to be successful at that game. I, I always mention, I actually recently brought out Fun Employed because someone had the audacity to suggest that we play Cards Against Humanity. Ugh. And I... Uh, Here's the thought. Here's the thing. Board gaming people are so against Cards Against Humanity. Cards I feel a little bad for the creators of that game at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, really, it just seems like a joke that went a little bit farther than they intended it to. And, like, credit to them. They seem like perfectly decent people. They've donated a lot of yeah. money to charity. When I hear about the stuff that they've done with their success, it's like, I don't have anything against them at all. I yeah. think they made something that a lot of people liked more power to them for it. But Cards well, Against Humanity is not a good game. They started something. I think... I look at Cards Against Humanity the way I look at a lot of early games in the beginning of the golden age of board gaming, like Settlers of Catan, which isn't necessarily a bad game, it's just showing its age. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say that I think that Cards Against Humanity isn't a problematic game, or that I, I don't even think it's a really great game, but I really enjoyed it when I first started getting back into games. I did too. It's just, for me, it doesn't, it doesn't hold a place anymore in my collection. Yeah, what it seems to have showed us is that we do have an appetite for party games that are going to give us permission to be a little bit rude around each other and to make each other laugh. I think it's like a phase that some people go through. You know, like you go through your... Um, what, what phases do you go through? You go, you go through your Egypt phase and your Greek mythology phase. Was that just me? Might have, might have just been... I'm sure people have gone through those phases. <laughs> but that was younger. I'm talking... I'm, I need a, a later phase. What's a later phase that you go through? Um, did you go through a libertarian phase? I did not. A, a Buddhist phase? No. Hmm. I didn't go through any weird religious phases now that you're talking about it. I just... Were you calling finger. libertarian a religious phase? <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I was the president of the Young Democrats in ah. high school, and I never... I never got off of that. Um, uh... But, so, I think what, yeah, Cards Against Humanity does, I think, show that people... Ooh, it's your Donnie Darko phase. Oh. It's like your Donnie Darko phase. Okay, I totally get that. Yeah, like, you you enjoy it, and then you think it's amazing when you're doing it, and that doesn't mean it's bad, like, it served its purpose at that time, and you thought it was really great and innovative at the time, but when you become an adult, you don't need Donnie Darko anymore. But where I get grumpy is that most of the time I feel like non-gamers would rather play something they know than something that they don't know. And yeah. any everybody at this point knows how to play Cards Against Humanity. Well, the nice thing about Fun Employed is whenever somebody wants to play Cards Against Humanity, which I tried to sell at an auction recently and nobody bought it. Big surprise. But... I am able to pull out Fun Employed and say, this is like Cards Against Humanity, but it's better. And it's nice to have something like that in the collection. Exactly. The bottom line, 
I just don't really want to play the game anymore. I could I could stomach it for like a half hour sitting. But I've been to way too many parties where someone would get it out and they would play way too big a game of it and it wouldn't end. Yeah. Because the game, I think, really doesn't have more than a half hour in it. You and get tired of it. So, But so often, people, because they don't want to learn something new, will play the game for hours. Yeah. So... There are better things out there. We there just are, want better for you. I, I am, yeah. We, we would like to tell you all that even if you are drunk, you deserve better than Cards Against Humanity. You do. You do deserve better than you Cards are, Against Humanity. You are smart enough to learn a better game. <laughs> we believe in you. Are we talking down to our audience? We very much are. But I, no, I, I suspect that much of our audience are nodding along in agreement like, yeah. I am am better than Cards Against Humanity. They're not talking to me. They're talking to those other listeners, and I'm joining in with them. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's what we hope we are thinking. Mm -hmm. Uh, So other games that are excellent when you are drunk. Spyfall. Spyfall. uh, That that one can be a little tricky to teach. That's true. I think Spyfall is another game that is good to learn sober, but the nice thing is the rules explanation is pretty short, so Mm -hmm. you can just, like, start drinking as you start the rules explanation, you'll probably be okay. Yeah, that is is a good one, though, and again, it's one that once your group knows it, you can start it whenever. Yeah. So Spyfall is a... how do I even describe Spyfall? You describe it. Spyfall is a game in which... One player is secretly selected to be the spy, um, as we see in many other games, but the way it works is every player but the spy is given the name of a location and an occupation or role within that location. So, for example, a location might be something like movie theater, and roles might include things like uh, a person working at the snack counter, or janitor, or manager, or repair person. And... Once everybody secretly has either the location or once the one person has their spy card, the flow of the game is that players will take turns asking each other questions. So I might ask you a question like, so do you like it around here? And then you would have to answer that question and you would ask somebody else a question. It's a job. But yeah, exactly. But the thing is, the spy is trying to figure out where everybody is and if the spy can guess the location, the spy wins. Everybody else is trying to vote on who the spy is. And so it's this weird thing. Nobody really wants to give away too much. Uh, if you're a player, you're trying to communicate to the other players that you know where you are. But you're also trying to trip people up with your questions. And if you're the spy, you're trying to like give vague answers that sort of sound like you know what you're talking about. And so you get these just surreal conversations of, uh, so what does it smell like here? I'll never forget the time that we were in a college town and I was a spy and you guys kept talking about the colors, like the colors around here. You know, the colors, people feel really strongly about the colors because you were talking about like the school colors, which we happen to live in a college town. And so everyone knows the colors, which I will not mention in case you don't know where we live. I don't want you to track us down and murder us, but... <laughs> which but, I'm sure you were planning on doing. Oh, damn. But... I was completely lost. I had no idea what you were talking about, and everybody else was so invested in the colors, and I thought you were at a circus, and I was wrong. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. Do you like it here? The hours are long. What's your favorite part about working here? The people are nice. Like, it's just these strange conversations where everybody's super paranoid and everybody's probing everybody and nobody wants to tell anybody anything. Yeah. It's 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 super funny. I want to suggest something controversial. Yes. I'm going to suggest a game that you play on your television. Fibbage. Fibbage. Fibbage is great. Uh, so my cousin, shout out to Jill again, uh, who's also, I probably shouldn't say that she's on the board, but, uh, uh, my cousin who also enjoys playing board games and maybe listening, in which case, comment, please. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, she introduced me to Fibbage, which is part of the 
Jackbox 2, I believe it is, mm -hmm. which is like a party pack of several games. And I'll be honest, I've only played maybe two or three of them because Fibbage is so good, I don't feel like I need to spend as much time with the others. But one day I'll get to them. I believe it costs about $25 to buy the pack. And it's something that you can play with your phone. So everybody kind of logs into the room that's shown on your television. And you know, we say computer game. These are effectively... Like, these could almost work as board games. There are just a few little things they do with digital magic to make everything run more smoothly. But really, if you like board gaming, this, I think, still fits in that genre, even if it is a digital game. But I'm sorry, go on. Well, Fibbage is a very simple game. Essentially, you just have a sentence with a missing word. So it will say something like, uh, the name of the most famous brand of horse jerky is blank. Well, and it, I, I think it's important to clarify, these are trivia questions. These have actual answers. Exactly. And you're trying to fill that blank space with a lie that is feasible. But the nice thing about this game, and the, the reason I feel like it's so good for drunk gaming, is because if you don't care, if you're just not invested at all anymore, and you just want to have fun then you could just make up something hilarious. And on top of people voting for which answer they think is correct, you can also upvote essentially whatever you think is funniest. So even though you may not win the full game by tricking the most people, you can win what's called, I think, the Thumbs Cup. So Yeah, that sounds about right. Which is whatever person has received the most upvotes for the funniest answer. And so if you just, like don't care anymore after you've been drinking, then you get rewarded for your humor, which I think is nice. Well, and, um, I, yeah, I think that that's incredible for, I think that's incredibly clever. The idea that there's a party game where realistically there are two games happening simultaneously and you play the one you want to play or you play both. I, I mean, I'll play Fibbage and if I can think of a really clever lie, I'll go for it and see if I can fake people out. But if the game's going badly for me, I have the option of dropping out and playing for likes instead. Exactly. And that's brilliant. The idea that both kinds of players, players who are more trying to play cleverly and players who are just trying to make poop and fart jokes, have a game that they can play together. And I will say that it's a game... I really enjoy bluffing games. I enjoy games with lying, even though I'm not a great liar. But you don't need to be able to trick somebody via your face or your voice for this game. It's all written out. You do need to be a good speller, though, because it won't fix your spelling. That is my one gripe with the game. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like it's the sort of game where you trick your friends by your cleverness, not just by your ability to lie. Honestly, yes. I think that's absolutely true. And also, you are ridiculously good at tricking people in that game. I'm okay. I'm okay. That, I gotta look this up real quick. In We were talking about Cards Against Humanity earlier. One of the Jackbox games, I think, takes the Cards Against Humanity concept and fixes it in a way that you could actually do really? with a Cards Against Humanity set pretty easily. It's a game where... Uh, the specifics of how it's set up, I don't quite remember, but essentially, it gives you a sort of... It gives you a, sort of a saying or title or a thing where you'd have to fill in the blank, you know, you know, the kind of thing, uh, you know, why is daddy crying or uh, it... What's that smell? What's that smell? And the only difference is, and it's such a tiny difference, but it makes all the difference in the world for how interesting the game is to play, is that instead of having pre-written card... Quiplash is the name of the game. Instead of having pre-written cards you write what you're going to fill in the blank with. Oh, huh. interesting. I like that. And then players actually vote on which one, all the players actually vote on which one they like the best. It's a tiny difference, but I think it changes the game from automatic and mindless to still easy, but something that you can really actually feel good about when you play it well. I will say there are multiple jackboxes, so be sure if you're interested in purchasing one that you're getting the correct one. <laughs> Just because you wouldn't want to buy like Jackbox One and be like, "Damn, I really wanted Fibbage." Right. I think actually Fibbage might be in Jackbox One as well, but I think I it's think a different it version. Oh yeah. 
We'll have to double check, but I will I will put it in the show notes because that is one of my jobs. Show notes. Show notes. Why isn't there more singing in this podcast? We, we said that there would be more singing. Tell us in the comments what we should sing next time. <laughs> I, th- I think it'll happen. I think it'll happen. One of these days. Let it happen. Well, that brings us to Encore, I feel like. Yes, that Which is one is of my favorite one of my favorite games to play after a few drinks. It's a tricky game, because if you're playing with people who don't like singing, like my husband, my husband hates Encore. It is a divisive one. A lot of people really don't like it and i get it i get it but we enjoy it it's a very simple game have we we've mentioned encore before we have briefly mentioned it the the way the game works very brief it's quite simple you draw there are a number of cards with words on them you draw the card and then whatever the word is you just go around in a circle and everybody has to sing a song with that word in it you got to be able to sing at least seven lines of the song in a row you got six oh it could be i might be wrong and if you can't think of a song in 30 seconds, you are eliminated. So it keeps going around until a player is eliminated. Yeah, we mentioned this because I talked about how amazing you are at that game. Oh. You are! Okay. Yeah. yeah. But it's a fun game for me because I love singing when I've had... I mean, I like singing when I'm sober. But especially if you get me on some scotch. Me on scotch? That doesn't make sense. Especially if I've had a couple drinks. I love... Love to sing with my friends. Well, it's a good ge- it's a good game for a friend group because I think you know oftentimes our games drag on just because one of us will think of a song and everyone else will just join in. Yeah. And of course, we'll have to stop the game to sing the song to completion before we can move on. I will say one of the other issues with the game is if you don't enjoy the same types of music as other people in your friend group. Not to say that you won't enjoy it, but. One of the benefits of the game is when you all start singing together, and if I like musicals and you like black metal, (laughs) we're just not going to have a lot of common ground. We probably won't be able to sing together. Mm -hmm. I've most enjoyed that game when I was playing with somebody else who also enjoyed musicals, because I like musicals, damn it. And (laughs) I'm not going to apologize for it. I know I'm in the minority, but... I I was about to uh, elicit an apology. (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm in the minority. It's not all I listen to. I listen to a lot of different kinds of music. But I had so much fun playing that game with one of my friends. She loves musicals, and I love musicals, and we had a lovely time playing this game because we knew all the songs together. I feel like I was better at that game when I was slightly younger because anyone who knows anything about neuroscience will tell you that after the age of 25, it's all downhill. And my processing speed has diminished over oh, joy. time. Yeah, something something for the youngins to look forward to. <laughs> it's all downhill after 25. It, it is, I think, also a stronger game when you're playing with uh, people who have similar taste in music yeah. to you. And also it introduces interesting it, it introduces some interesting tactics into the mix. When I play with my little brother, for an exa- for example, I have a pre- or when I play with my wife, I have pretty good idea a pretty good idea of what things they're likely to go for. So you and think there's yeah, a strong play is to try and beat them to their picks first, and then save the ones that only you know for after you've knocked them out. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the way to do it. You want the more obscure stuff to come up later. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's your ace in the hall right there. But there's something really special about playing a game with your very tough friend who suddenly starts singing Taylor Swift because you can't think of anything else that uses <laughs> that particular word. When the game works, it is for that reason. It's because you end up having to sing songs that you don't necessarily like, but just happen to know. And so everybody has to break character I've sung Eensy Weensy Spider <laughs> because I think it used the word water or something like that. One, I personally feel like any night that ends with you singing either Les Miserables or Bohemian Rhapsody is a good night. Like, that's that makes me feel better about the world if I can end the night. Because a lot of songs... Uh, there's a lot of words in Bohemian Rhapsody. You can often... <laughs> you can often get that one integrated. Yeah. I've had many happy nights end in Bohemian Rhapsody. It is a good way to end the night, for sure. Yeah. Maybe that's how we should end our podcast as well. By telling, <laughs> by telling you that your your game night will always be improved with Scotch and Bohemian Rhapsody finishing up the night. Well, so the morals of the, morals of the story are 
There are some games that you learn before you start drinking. There are some games that you learn after you start drinking. But if you're going to introduce somebody to gaming when they've already started to drink, think a little carefully about it, because nobody likes to start a hobby with throwing up in the toilet. <laughs> Drunk people are not good listeners. That's no. Even, I, I would have experiences where I would try to teach my old friends from high school a game that and like they would just be cracking jokes the whole time and then okay i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm listening i'm listening it's like it wasn't there was no malicious intent they couldn't help themselves there was just no inhibition if they thought something they were gonna say it yeah so but what's uh, of all the heavy games that you like to play drunk what is the one you play the best galaxy trucker really oh yeah i love Drunk Galaxy Trucker. Okay. Although it's hard because my, my husband doesn't really like that game very much, and I love it. He is wrong. Well, we talked about how the uh, attribution error uh, impacts his evaluation of games. Yes, my husband uh, is much more likely to enjoy a game if he wins the first time that he plays. <laughs> he's a lovely person, but he's wrong. <laughs> um, I think he I think he might just slightly o overestimate how, how big a role chance plays in his winning or losing. I think so. But I, I mean, I love anything by Vlada Chavadal. He's probably one of my favorite games. He, he is, is one of my game, favorite games. Oh, players. yeah. And uh, I, I love that Galaxy Trucker forces you to build a ship, and then you're just thrust into space, and pieces of the ship start falling off, and you have to deal with it, and there are space pirates, and meteors. It's just, oh, it's such a good game. It is not one you could teach to a drunk table, though. Definitely not. Although you could play, uh, take a drink every time a piece falls off of your ship. You would die. Would that be completely irresponsible? That would be completely well, a, irresponsible. a drink, not a shot. Like. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, that's probably okay. I'm trying to think if there are any other heavy games I really enjoy playing drunk. Um, no, I think I have to give it to Galaxy Trucker. What about you? We, I would say the, the heaviest game I can play drunk is probably Imperial Assault. And I think it's just because I, f I have a pretty solid understanding of the game, how the game works. And once you got your long-term strategy figured out, short-term, you have decisions to make, but there's a pretty clear way to make them. And so, I don't know. I just, for some reason, or else maybe that's just a game that I often drink when I play it. So yeah. I've just gotten very used to thinking through the game in that state. I couldn't quite say. I should also throw out Tales of the Arabian Nights because I've really enjoyed playing that game, which is fairly complicated, but I've enjoyed playing it drunk because I know it well, and frankly, it's totally based on luck. Like, there's not really mm -hmm. a strategy involved. It's just about a story. It's about an experience. Um, it's a game that is almost like a choose-your-own-adventure mm -hmm. in a game form uh, based on Tales of the Arabian Nights, which involves genies and gender swapping and people being turned into monkeys, if I recall correctly. Um, I don't think it's the most PC game in the world, but then neither is the source material, which is not an excuse, but just so you know. Mm -hmm. It's a complex game, but once you know how to play, I feel like it's a game that you can pick up again quite easily and... It's funnier to have your gender swapped when you're drunk. I've not played that one yet. Oh. I'd very much like to. Oh, yeah, that's a that's a great winter game. Well, and then well, I think lots of good, uh, there are lots of good storytelling games. That uh, Storytelling games are great when you're drunk. I mean, Fiasco. Oh, yeah. Uh, what was the one? Uh, the, Once Upon a Time? I, I wasn't thinking of that one. I was thinking of, it I was a like role-playing game. I feel like I've played a game of Once Upon a Time that involved some, like, magical croissants. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure alcohol was involved. But what is the role-playing game where players, like, tell me about the time that you wrestled an alligator. Oh, The Adventures of Baron von Munchausen. The Adventures of Baron von Munchausen. That I think that's an great. excellent... That uh, was great. Yeah, we had some really that's good That's an excellent that drinking game. game. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we could spend the rest of the night talking about excellent drunk games, but uh, let's wrap this up by saying what's your favorite liquor to enjoy while while playing a game of any stripe uh specifically liquor any alcohol any alcohol oh man that's a, that is a tough one though i, I mean know. in general i prefer to start my night with bourbon or scotch and end my night with any manner of craft beer 
in, in our neck in our neck of the woods uh that would probably mean oh hmm. Tasty, tasty beer. <laughs> We're there's, not going to tell you where we live. There are so many good ones. We're not foolish people. There's so many good ones. There are. I, oh, that, yeah, that's, why did I ask that question? It's an impossible question. I, I love a good scotch. It depends on the type of year, or the time of year. The type of year. The type of year. <laughs> it also depends on It can on the depend a lot on the type of if year, it's actually. it's election year, then yes. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, it depends on the time of year. This time of year i'm always wanting cognac <laughs> cognac is like my go-to winter drink because it tastes like apples and happiness but i'm always down for scotch or beer i feel like beer and board games go so well together i i do enjoy a nice like campsite campsite campfire what is that called like the very low alcohol beers like campsite by uplands right yeah can't uh they had, I thought it was seasonal, because I quite liked that one too. It was a nice session that, idea. Like a, yeah, session. I enjoy a session beer. Se oh, session beers. Are, that, that is a, well, this is, that's actually a really good point. I think it is nice when gaming to have a drink that you can knock back a lot of without destroying yourself. Exactly. Uh, one, uh, I guess the game that I've probably played while drinking more than anything else is Dungeons and Dragons. And that's because anytime I would play with my group, somebody would get a uh, 30 case of PBR, which uh, we, we would get that to be responsible and stay hydrated. Sure. That's, it's, as you uh, do. As you do. Um, but, I mean, it's... Uh, truthfully, I actually quite like the taste of PBR. I know it's not a good beer, but it's my bad beer. I mean, whatever you enjoy. Exactly. I also have to put in a good word for mimosas because we love a good board game brunch mm. in our house and it's a nice way to start your day just having people over at like 10, 11, maybe noon, making a bunch of pancakes, stirring together some mimosas and just playing until 5 o'clock in the evening. It makes the, the day feel like it's not totally given over to the gaming because you can still do something that evening. And pancakes and board games, as long as you don't get maple syrup on the gaming components, which is very important. I, I find oftentimes we do the breakfast, then the board gaming. That's true. But we have combined them before, carefully. As yeah. long as you're responsible gamers. What is your favorite game to take to a bar? Oh, I've, I've had a lot of fun with Hive in a bar. And we've also, we've, I think we've played um, Hey, That's My Fish. Hey, that's my hey, that's my fish in a bar as well. That would work quite well. It, it compresses nicely. Anything hexagonal in a bar. Well, I, was, I we, I, uh, with some friends, uh, brought Skull to a bar, and strangers actually joined us and played it with us, and I always think that's a mark of a good game, mm -hmm. when a stranger will join you and play it with you. Oh, we have to mention The Great Del Moody before we go. Oh, yes, of course. Because The Great Del Moody is a game that rewards you for being an asshole, but it's not, like, your fault that you're an asshole. It's just that... That's how the game is played. It's a very short game. It's a game where you are essentially taking tricks. It's a trick-taking game. And you need to get rid of your cards as quickly as possible. And the first person to get rid of their cards is the Great Del Moody. The second person is the Lesser Del Moody. And so on and so forth until you get to the last two players who are the Greater Peon and the Lesser Peon. And there's a penalty for being poor in this game, just like in real life. <laughs> and so you have to help the people at the top of the food chain. So when you are able, you're, you're still able, there's enough flexibility in the game, the rounds are so short that you could go from being a peon to a Dalmudi in a round. But it's a little harder to pull yourself out, and so when you do pull yourself out, you feel really good about it. And there's a lot of opportunities for fucking with each other, mm -hmm. because... We've played it where you had to move seats, so, like, the worst seats go to the peons, or, like, they have to sit on the floor. Sometimes we'll incorporate hats, so the greater Del Moody gets, like, a tiara. <laughs> um, it's just... It's a really good game for throwing shit. Well, and it's... It, to me, it has all the hallmarks of one of those... Uh, one of those family card games that you would just play for hours all night, and yeah. that, you know, it's... It, it's you not... You can stop whatever you want. 
it's not completely brainless, but the decisions are... There are only a handful of decisions per round, so you can play it while carrying on a conversation. Mm -hmm. It's largely luck-based, but there are still enough opportunities to make good decisions that you can be somewhat engaged with it. And you can pretty much just play it indefinitely, and the social casts will shift around as the night goes on. Sometimes you're going to be at the top, sometimes you're going to be at the bottom. And it just, it just works. It's just a nice way to pass an hour. If you happen to have three sets of regular playing cards that all look the same, you could make your own Del Moody set. Mm -hmm. But it's also an inexpensive game. It's definitely under $10, $15. It's been around for a while, so I feel like it's a fairly classic game. It's a Richard Garfield design, isn't it? Mm -hmm, I think so. And Dude's prolific. He is. But it's just, I feel like it's a game I don't hear about enough, considering the quality of it. It's not very well known, but it is, it is quite good. Yeah, so definitely check that out. But it is definitely, I don't think it's going to be anybody's favorite game. But it is really good for if you just need to do something. It's a crowd-pleasing game. I don't know a lot of people, except maybe your wife, who don't like that game. She gets grumpy. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I hear this argument used to defend a lot of very bad games where, you know, well, it doesn't matter what you're playing as long as you're playing with good people. If you feel that way, then why don't you at least go ahead and feel that way about a game that actually happens to be good anyway and play this one? Games are about having fun, but sometimes... I feel like people can have fun at the expense of others. So you need people who will play this game who aren't going to be, like, super invested in it, I mm. think. Not to say that your your wife isn't, you know, is too invested in the game. I just think she gets tired of playing the same game for a long amount of time. Mm -hmm. Which is fair. But no game is going to appeal to everybody. And so a lot of gaming is just experimentation and figuring out what works for your group. Indeed. Yeah. Experiment. That's, that's, the, that's the moral of That's the moral of the episode. story. Yeah. Um, Experimentation yeah. is good. Drink responsibly. Have excellent times with your friends. Have safe sex. Yes, that's Wear it. sunscreen. <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. Eat breakfast. Get outside every once in a while. I think that's everything. <laughs> now, now you know how to live a good life. That's all you, it takes. You heard it here. <laughs> We just gave you, we just gave you all the tools you need. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah, that about wraps it up then. Yeah, that about wraps it up. So until next time, we wish you good games, good friends, and goodbye. goodbye. Having fun isn't hard. Oh my when god! You got the that, library card. You're really taking it to the Arthur soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. And don't forget the Dewey Decimal System is your friends. Who is Dewey? <laughs> I didn't remember that line. Do you remember uh, Buster? Huh. When he yeah, was no, it's to totally learn? there. Do you remember Buster when he was trying to learn the multiplication tables? That's why I know 9 times 9, because he was like, 9 times 9 is 81. I don't know that one. Well, uh, so mention in the comments if you remember Buster's struggle with multiplication tables. <laughs>